Well, welcome back to the Powell View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. With you, as always, I, I am Trey Hinkle. I am the uh, lead pastor here at Powell View Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. And uh, we have just gone through our season of Advent, uh, where we had four weeks that we were preparing our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus into our world. And now we're back to our series in the Gospel of Luke, the year of our Lord, which is turning into probably a year and a quarter, or a year and a half even, of our Lord. It's been a good study, and I hope that you've been enjoying it if you've been following along what we've been doing. Um, what happened, though, is I realized that um, in the summertime, we kind of jumped around looking at different um, parables, and then from there, we continued on in uh, chapters 18 and 19, and I realized I actually skipped over a very short passage, but a very powerful passage, uh, back in Luke chapter 10. And so that's really where we're going to be today. Uh, we, we want to go back to Luke chapter 10. Now, uh, to set the scene, though, I, I know people who they keep looking at the state of this world, and they wonder if 2023 is going to be the year that Jesus comes back. Um, people believe that we're living in the very last of the last days. And so, you know, pe people want to be wise. They, they want to store up things that would be useful, and not just for themselves. They're not being selfish. They're actually um, storing up for themselves things like canned foods and, and uh, uh, gold coins and things like that, that, so that they could actually be in a position to help other people as well. You know, it's not just for themselves, it's for their neighbors and their family and their friends and uh, other people from church. And so they, they stock up. They stock up on ammunition. They stock up on canned foods. They stock up uh, on gold coins. And, and, and there's something uh, about being wise, about being prepared in that way. But I believe that if we're to be uh, obedient to Jesus and actually be ready for his return at all times— there is something even more important than any of those things that you can stock up and be prepared for. And what we can be doing, how we can be living, involves moving into a more intimate relationship with God so that no matter what happens, we are able to stand. Okay. See, true intimacy with God is something that is the key. It is the key. It's It was the key for 64 plus million of, of people who were martyred for the for their faith for for the name of Jesus Christ throughout the the the, the time since Jesus went back up to heaven sixty four million people what made them prepared to make their stand it, it wasn't the canned goods or the ammunition or anything like that what it really truly was was a life that was marked by an intimacy with God where their faith in God was so strong and secure that it was immovable, unshakable. You know, true intimacy with God is something that I don't care if you're a, a believer or not. Mankind has sought true intimacy with God throughout the centuries. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God put eternity into our hearts. Uh, it's very plain that people, Deep, deep down inside of us, we, we desire uh, some kind of connection with our creator. It's in our spiritual DNA. So this year, as we might be planning for Jesus to come back, 
I would love for uh, believers to make a concerted effort to actually look at what is most important in preparing for Jesus to come back, to study the position, the posture of a true disciple, someone who truly worships God in order to fight for the experience of true intimacy with God. If we want true intimacy with God, which is the key, then we must put ourselves into a posture that will develop true intimacy. See, I, I, I hear the cry in Christian circles all the time for revival. We, we know that the world is basically going to hell on a handbasket. We see the darkness that lurks in every corner of our culture. So we pray for revival, revival in our nation, revival in our world. We want God's spirit to come and straighten things out. But here's the truth that I have discovered over the years until I have my own personal revival, until Christians have their own personal revivals in their own hearts, then any other revival seems to be missing the point. So for us to experience personal revival, it requires us to be much more intentional about developing intimacy, developing the kind of relationship that God had designed for us to have from the very, very beginning, but that because of sin, we have uh, missed and have been torn away from in this world that we live in today. You see, even though we know that developing intimacy with God would be good and beneficial, unfortunately, the cards are kind of stacked against us. It won't happen just on its own, naturally. Because sadly, we have learned to live our lives in a fast-paced, breakneck um, speed, if you will. We race through our lives one week after the other. It's all a blur. We go at such fast speeds, and it leads to tragic consequences because we, we race through any kind of devotional life and in doing so, we develop very shallow root systems in our spiritual depth. We bear pretty pathetic fruit. And perhaps worst of all, we get into a rut where God just kind of gets not our best, but our leftovers. Too many Christians today that I know of, they run on spiritual empty. And the problem is, is there's a problem and they don't even know it. It's like having a, a broken gas gauge and you don't know that you're running on empty. So you just keep going blissfully, barreling ahead, getting further and further from any kind of uh, station, filling station that can fill you up. How many of us have forgotten that we need to be filled up on a regular basis? You see, we've got this deformity called sin that gets in the way of our relationship with God. It takes away intimacy with God. And, and sin has been so much a part of our life that we are so used to it. And the pace at which we are living our life makes us not be able to see it because we don't slow down and, and, and take a good look at what's happening. And so we are not able to see anything that needs a spiritual doctor, right? So we have a problem. And, and and it's exacerbated because we believe in order to fix it, once we're shown that we have this problem, we think that the answer is adding more to our plate. So when people hear a sermon that begins like how this sermon is beginning, they say, man, here's one more thing I have to do. And that actually drives you further from developing the intimacy with God because 
you get busy doing just one more thing, which tears you away from spending any time with God. So we keep adding things to our plate, and we hope that that's going to be the answer. But what's needed is not another program. It's not another sermon series. It's not another book to read. All those things tend to do, if I were to be honest, is kind of stress people out more. What's really needed is what Jesus actually modeled for us during his ministry. You know, here's the Son of God, able to do some pretty amazing things, and yet he takes time. Throughout the Gospels, you see this. He takes time to just go off on his own, to reconnect with the Father. And so to that end, I want you to wonder in your own imagination, in your own mind, to picture what it might be like to actually take the situation by the reins, to actually take the steps needed to schedule periodic times in your spiritual life where you can refuel and reflect on a regular basis, to actually prioritize an existence where you are connected with God in a world that has these demands screaming at you to pay attention to them, like like our phones, for example. This is just one example, but it's one that my wife has brought conviction into my life time after time after time. Most of us remember a time when we all we had for a phone was a landline, something plugged into the wall in our homes. And this, we, we could, I can remember even before answering machines were a thing. So if you weren't home, nobody could get in touch with you, right? Uh, when you were spending time with family, you had, you had the uh, freedom to actually be present with your family. But now, oh no, now we've got phones that go with us wherever we go. And God forbid you're having a meeting or a dinner with somebody and you hear that buzz. Bzz, bzz. Now, you, you've, you've taken it out of your pocket, you put it down, but you, you put it face down. You, you think that that's somehow more respectful. And then when it buzzes, you think it's more respectful to uh, pick it up, look at it, and then put it down and say, oh, I don't need to take that right now. You, you think that's more respectful. It's not. It's not because you're still allowing yourself to be distracted from the person who is right in front of you. And believe me, again, I know this. I am guilty of this. More than many of you are guilty. So so this is not me just preaching at you. This is me preaching to me as well. So let me ask you this. Could it be possible for us as God's people to find a better posture? Is it is it possible for us to be proactive in fighting against the distractions or the urgency of the tyranny? And if it was possible, here's probably a more scary question. Would you be willing to make the choice necessary to schedule time so that you can develop intimacy with the Father? So again, we're back in Luke, okay? Luke chapter 10. This passage is actually very relevant to any follower of Jesus who wants to find and live in intimacy with the Father. Because we're getting this fresh start, right? The New Year's, fresh start. Okay, well, then it's time to maybe um, put a break on where you were going and hit reset. 
and get back to where we're supposed to be. Today, we're going to be looking at a young Jewish girl known as Mary of Bethany. Luke 10 is the first time that we see her. And there's just a few verses in Luke chapter 10. In fact, so much so that I, I totally skipped over it. Um, but that's kind of how we see Mary in, 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 of Bethany uh, in the gospel accounts. A few verses here, a few verses there. And yet, we know still today who she was. So let's read from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and following. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, Bethany, now that's two miles east of Jerusalem. It was the home that Jesus would stop in at all throughout his ministry. Living there in the home was Martha and Mary and their brother, as we will find out in John chapter 11, who was named Lazarus. Now, Jesus liked this family. Anytime he was headed to Jerusalem, it seemed like he stopped in Bethany at this home. They were followers of his. They were disciples. They supported his ministry. They obviously gave him a place to stay, and they obviously fed him. Later, when Jesus finds out that Lazarus was sick, we are told that in John's gospel that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved this family. And so here he is at their home. And, and you can see the activity that's happening. You, you, in fact, it's a, it's a study in contrast because you have, on one hand, you have Martha making the, the, the dinner, making all the preparations, busy, 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 serving, right? Trying to please the Lord by giving him her best. And there's nothing wrong with that. She's practicing hospitality. She wants everything to be made right. You probably understand that. You've had guests over. You want things to be just right. When you have the rabbi, the master, the Messiah coming to your house, you really want things to be nice. So you have Martha, and she's busy, busy, busy. And then you have Mary. And where is she? Where is she? I'm going to ask that question a few times in this message. Where is Mary? at Jesus's feet, listening to what Jesus was saying. What a contrast, right? Mary sitting, listening. Martha busy with preparations. But according to the work here in, in the Greek text, Martha's not just busy. No, she's actually more than busy. She's over busy. Our English translates it to she was distracted. And that broken down in the Greek means to be over-occupied or to be drawn away from something. Ah, that's the danger. That's the problem. Not just doing things, uh, being busy. Uh, you know, people are busy and, and they're busy trying to do the right thing. The, the problem is when you think that busyness is the end-all, be-all. When you, when everything is about being busy, when you are over busy. You know, some people spend their lives busy being busy. They love being busy. I, I don't know who taught 
people this, but so many people think that being busy is actually a good thing. Maybe it's because their brain is in overdrive. Maybe it's because they received their accolades, their attaboys when they were growing up by being busy. Maybe they're busy just to escape any other responsibilities or relationships. It's safer to stay busy. Now, I'm not talking against doing a good, honest day's work. You know, God gave us work to do. God has not called us to not be responsible. He's not uh, commending us being lazy at all. But he also doesn't want us to become so preoccupied with work that we're drawn away from what's most important. That's why he told us to take a day off, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it separate. Because otherwise, we could be consumed with busyness. So that's kind of what Jesus says to Martha. He says to her, Martha, Martha. And by the way, whenever Jesus says your name twice, it's never good. Okay. He says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Oh, how many things about the human condition have not changed in 2,000 years. If you think being anxious and troubled is just a 21st century thing, think again, because there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, we've got technology that was supposed to make our lives easier, but really all that did was give us more things to be anxious and troubled about. Jesus continues, you're anxious and troubled about many things, Martha, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Only one thing is necessary. It's simple, like like the scene from City Slickers, where Mitch is wondering about life, and Curly, the old cowhand, says, it's about this, and he raises his finger. And Mitch says, Life is about your finger? He goes, no, it's about one thing. One thing. You see, faith is very simple. It, it's, it's uh, you know, God designed it to be simple. It's mankind that made it complicated, right? One thing, Jesus says, one thing is necessary. It's necessary to what we were designed for. See, church, in order to thrive in our spirits, in order to overcome temptation. And uh, to the, the, to give into our sinful nature, in order to be truly born again, as Jesus teaches, into a spiritual existence, only one thing is necessary. But it's a thing that we need on a consistent basis. Daily is ideal. A few times a week isn't as ideal, but it's still good. What is it? It is spending your time, spending your day, your existence in the presence of God. It's all-encompassing. It's not just a morning prayer time. It's not just a, a Bible study during the week here and there. It's actually living with the understanding that God is with me. It is staying in his presence, whether I go to a business meeting, whether I'm at the grocery store, whether I'm working on a project, whether I'm driving kids to practice. It's Developing and then living and staying in a mindset that Jesus is right there with me. Not, not like one of those, like, you better not do that because Jesus is watching. It's not a threat. No. Although that mindset will keep you from doing stupid, sinful things. It, it, it's more of an encouragement. Because no matter what you're doing, it can be important to the kingdom. 
no matter where you are, you can take a posture, the same kind of posture that Mary was in. It's being at Jesus's feet. That's the one thing that was necessary and would not be taken away from Mary. From Mary. To be at Jesus's feet, that's the one thing that will help us develop intimacy with God. And this young Jewish girl, Mary, she got it. She realized that intimacy with God will lead to revival, not the other way around. Some people think, well, if we just would have revival, people would be more intimate with God. No, no. It, it begins with intimacy with God. And then that will lead to revival, both personal and national and global. Now, I want us to go to uh, John chapter 11. This is the account of the death of Mary's brother, Lazarus. And I'd recommend you read all 44 verses in its entirety when you get home this week. But this morning, I just want to look at a few verses there in the front of the chapter. In John 11, uh, verse 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Now a certain man was ill. It was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Jump down to verse 3. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Well, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. All right, so Lazarus is on his deathbed. And Jesus is saying, Don't worry, the ultimate outcome will not be his death. Death will not win this one. Well, of, no. we do know that Lazarus does die before Jesus gets there. But Jesus has a plan that goes beyond just healing Lazarus, right? So we jump down to verse 21. Jesus has finally arrived on the scene. It's been four days, by the way, since the, the, the messenger went out from Mary and Martha. We jump down to verse 21. And what Jesus is intending to do, it's still not, uh, it's still not apparent to Lazarus' family. Martha says to Jesus there in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of scolding him, right? By the way, that's true. What she says is true. If Jesus had been there, Lazarus would not have died. Because if you look through the Bible, you'll, you'll see that nobody ever died in the presence of Jesus. You, you, you don't die in the presence of the author of life. That's why when Jesus comes back, the dead are going to rise, right? So Martha accuses Jesus if he had been here, he would not have died. And he answers her in a very theological way. He brings up the resurrection of the dead for those who believe in him. And actually, if you look at what he says and how he says it, he's leading Martha to, to acknowledge the gospel, right? He leads her to a, this acknowledgement of faith in the power that he will have over death. And that's good. It's, it's great to be able to present the gospel in that way, to, to show the power of God in that way. But there's a marked difference for what uh, in his reaction, in his response and interaction with Mary. Because when Mary hears that Jesus has come, she runs out, and in verse 32, she says the exact same thing as Martha had. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But there's a difference. Although you can't read the inflection there in, in, in the words on the page you do see that there is a difference between what Martha was saying and what Mary was saying, even though they use the same words. you got to look at the posture again of Mary. Same Mary, 
The same Mary that we saw sitting at Jesus' feet there in the home in the, in the previous event. Where is Mary? John eleven thirty two. 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. Where is Mary? <laughs> Once again, she's at the Savior's feet. In Luke 10, she was there listening. Here, she is in desperation. Two sisters approaching Jesus with the same emotions and the same statement, but with different postures. And so they receive two different responses. Martha, yes, she gets a lesson about the gospel. Again, amazing, important, theologically accurate. Okay, that's fine. But what does Mary get? Well, she and her community, they've been mourning the loss of her brother, right? In verses 33 through 35 in John chapter 11, we read that Jesus sees Mary and we are told he is deeply moved. She's crying. She is weeping. And he is deeply moved. And in the shortest but one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, we read that Jesus himself shares in her sorrow and weeps with her. Now, I know it's it's weird. It's a little odd because... You know, well, Jesus knows what was going to happen. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he crying? Well, it, it was suggested that he was crying for all the sadness and suffering in this world that was unnecessary because of sin. You know, death is in this world because sin is in this world. And perhaps he's crying over the just the, the condition of mankind. But I also believe that he was just naturally showing this empathy that God has for those with whom he enjoys relationship. There is this intimacy that had been developed between he and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when they were hurting, he was hurting. As Messianic rabbi Greg Hirschberg out of Atlanta, Georgia says, I ask you, what's more amazing? A man who raises the dead? or a God who weeps with his people. Mary and Martha had said the exact same thing to Jesus. The difference was Martha said them to his face. And so she got head knowledge. Mary cried them at his feet and so saw a savior that could carry her burdens with, for her, with her. So that's the second event in Mary's life. The third time that we see Mary before the death of Jesus is in the very next chapter of John, John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, we are told in verses 1 through 3, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Surprise, surprise, right? Going to Jerusalem, got to stop at Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, again, surprise, surprise, that's kind of what she does. She serves. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house then was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Once again, I want to ask you, where is Mary in this scene? She has this expensive perfume, which we are told would cost a year's wages. But where is she with this perfume? Well, if she's anointing Jesus' feet, where is she? She's at his 
feet. She's in the exact same posture that she has been in every other time that we have seen her in Scripture so far. Three times we read of Mary's posture at the Lord's feet. Here she has taken the role of the lowest servant, the servant who would wash the feet of, of the guests. Extreme humility, incredible devotion. There's actually uh, something that you may not see unless you understand the culture of, of the Jews back then, and, and even actually the Orthodox Jews today. You see, there's an implication of her using her hair to wipe Jesus' feet with the ointment, because Jewish women would never have unbound their hair in public. Now, they covered their hair, because according to their tradition, that's where their beauty and their glory lay. It was in their hair. And so their hair was only for their husbands to see. Even today in Israel or with Orthodox Jewish women, women will keep their hair hidden in public. So what is she doing? What, what are these actions implying? Well, she is saying to Jesus, I am fully yours. I have given you my whole self in worship. It is, and I'm not talking sexual here, but there is an intimacy there where she is allowing Jesus to have all of her. Things that she would have hidden from anybody else are now open for him to understand in her submission to him. Now, in Mark 14, we see the story, another account of the story, and the indignation that was expressed in verse 5 of John 12 by Judas. It's actually, in Mark's account, shared by other people. It wasn't just Judas that was upset. Uh, that she had done this with the perfume. But Mark includes a word in that protestation that John doesn't use. What Mark records people saying, certain people, in response to this action of worship is, why this waste? Why this waste of perfume? That, that word is used in Mark's gospel, and it is harsh. They're saying, why are you taking what is valuable, and just ruining it, throwing it out. Is she truly, is she truly wasting this? And I, I've never had the chance to smell this kind of spikenard ointment. I, I'm told it comes from a tree indigenous to northern India, and it's so pungent, they say, such a powerful scent that if I were to break open a small vial from up on the stage in our church, People could smell it in our foyer, down the hall, all the way down to where the Kingdom Kids ministry is is running. It was very euphoric. It was, it was a stunning scent. And so because of that, it was very expensive. In fact, points out that they point out that it would have cost a year's wages. So think about what you make in a year. And, and now think about what this pint of this spikenard would have cost. It was very expensive. Is that a waste? Well, let me tell you something. True intimacy with God, no matter what the cost, is never, ever a waste. And in fact, it's those who see worship as a waste of time or a waste of effort or a waste of a good Sunday morning. It's those people who will never, ever truly find the kind of intimacy that God designed us to have. Never. Not until they can posture themselves as Mary continues to posture herself at the feet of Jesus. Are they willing to see that even their very lives poured out at his feet, that is of the ultimate value? 
So as Mary performs this humble act of, of worship, two powerful things are played out. Number one, the act of worship. That act of worship is going to stay with Jesus throughout his the, the last week of his life and up until his death on the cross. Jesus said in John 12, 7, leave her alone because it was meant that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You, you know, fast forward to when Jesus dies on the cross, just at the end of that week, the whole ordeal of taking him down from the cross and getting him into the tomb before the beginning of Passover meant that they never got to put the burial incense on him. In fact, that's what Mary Magdalene and the other women were headed out to do that early resurrection morning. They were going to the tomb to finally prepare his body for burial. But Jesus is saying here, no, it's already been done. Here in Bethany, six days before the Passover, it was done. So Jesus is basically telling the crowd that was indignant at this act of worship, don't you dare call this a waste, this act of service and worship. It's anything but wasteful. It's beautiful. And that scent was going to be so strong that it would stay with Jesus throughout the entire last week of his life. Through his mock trial, through his beatings, through his crucifixion, there's strong consensus among New Testament scholars that while Jesus was suffocating on the cross, because that's how you actually died from crucifixion, your body struggled for air until you could no longer push yourself up into a position where you could catch your breath. And while he would push himself up for that last gasp of air, that perfume would be breathed in. A vivid reminder of Mary's act of worship. So it stayed with him. But secondly, and probably more important to us today, it stayed with Mary. It stayed with Mary. You see, as Mary wiped his feet with her hair, there is absolutely no doubt with the potency of that perfume that Mary would have carried that fragrance away with her from that event. And for as long as it stayed with Jesus, you know it had to have stayed with her as well. See, understand this as, as we're coming to a close of this message. If you want to develop a more intimate, more life-changing relationship with Jesus, and again, this is more than just a, a morning or an evening prayer time and a couple of Bible studies during the week. This is living in the presence of God. If you want to develop that, a, a more intimate, more life-changing relationship with Jesus, it would be beneficial for you to learn the posture of Mary. You see, when you worship God by making the decision to be at the feet of Jesus, when you are willing to pour out your true devotion and your worship, to let him see all of you, to lift him up, to listen to his words, to go to him in your desperate times, then as he is lifted up in your life in every one of those situations, you will come away bearing in your body something of the fragrance of Jesus in your life as well. As we begin this new year, I would love for those listening to this message to prayerfully consider what it would mean for their life to be broken open like that alabaster jar was broken open and poured on Jesus. I'd like for you to consider what kind of fragrance your life would reflect if you would make the choice to be at Jesus' feet, to listen to him, to bring your griefs and troubles to him, 
by worshiping him in abandon fully without without thought as to what it would look like or what it would cost you know a lot of times people come to me and they just they say i know that i'm in a rut i just am not growing i, I my spiritual life just seems dry i think more than anything it's time for them to stop the rat race the pace of life and to change their posture rather than being busy or over busy rather than uh, worrying about uh, what it's going to cost I, I think it would be best for us to um, just change our posture to make it our goal in 2023 to bring God into every minute of our day and as we do so to watch what happens to the level of intimacy that they that you actually enjoy with your God. And then what kind of fragrance you will take into this world as you influence the lives of other people. Well, that's the, uh, that's the New Year's message for us this week. I uh, pray that you had a good holiday, a good uh, time of remembering Jesus is coming into this world. And that you're prepared in 2023 to see what God has for you. Thank you so much for uh, your time and listening to these podcasts. And, uh, some of you for even reaching out and letting me know that you have been listening. Thank you uh, to my team, Lisa Welly, uh, for being the executive producer, Steve Pittman for being our technical director. And uh, I thank God that he has a brand new year for us to dive into. Let's live 2023 at his feet.